0: Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. When have we been not holy in the moment, and thus lose a moment that is holy? That's the question we're asking in today's message, which is entitled, In the Moment, It's based on Luke's transfiguration story from Luke chapter 9, verses 26 through 38. And it begins with some thoughts on wedding photography. You know, it's always been interesting to me the kind of unique experiences that are afforded to one as a pastor. And one of those more unique experiences happened to me a few years ago while I was the officiant of a wedding, good-sized wedding, in which there were, get this, eight, eight professional photographers commemorating the event. Now, the reason for this was not because this was any kind of celebrity wedding and, and we were not being invaded by paparazzi, but rather because the couple in question had won the grand prize at a bridal show a few months before. The prize being that you would get this whole community of photographers to take pictures at your wedding. And despite my initial misgivings, after all, you know this from a pastor's perspective, it's one thing to have a photographer in the sanctuary taking pictures all through the wedding ceremony but it's quite another to think that there's going to be eight of them crawling around. It turned out, really, honestly, to be a worthwhile experience for everyone involved. Not only were these photographers all true professionals, and not at all disruptive, but each one, you see, had their own unique specialty, and they brought uh, an artistic eye to the celebration that made for a -a one-of-a-kind portfolio of wedding pictures. And I got a chance to see a little bit of it because afterwards, one of the photographers, I guess as a way of saying thanks for granting them full access, sent me a packet of some of the photos they had taken around the church that day. And I gotta tell you, friends, I'm a big fan of photography anyway, but these were absolutely amazing. But as good as the formal portraits and the ceremonial pictures all were, I've got to tell you, hands down, my favorites were the candid shots. You know, the pictures that got taken when nobody was looking. Because good photography, and like I say, I'm a big fan of photography, good photography does not merely, to quote Paul Simon, make you think all oh, the world's a sunny day, oh yeah. It also has a way of revealing who we actually are in those unguarded moments. Well, these candid shots were the wedding pictures that showed forth the true joy of these two people who were deeply in love and of the people who loved them. Tell you the truth, friends. The only real problem over the years that I've had as a pastor with people taking pictures or shooting video at a wedding is that I don't want the couple to be distracted from what's happening. After all, whether it's a professional photographer doing their job or when somebody, oh well, let's just be honest, when everybody is clicking off a shot on their cell phones, when we notice that someone's about to take our picture, what happens? It's only human, you see, that when somebody's taking our picture, we begin to feel just a tad self-conscious, right? Oh, no. Were my eyes closed? Was my tongue sticking out Oh my hair? It's a mess. It's awful. Don't do that. Let's try this shot again, and I'll be ready to smile properly next time. How many boxes of pictures do you have at home of people in your family with frozen smiles on their faces that look nothing like them? That's that self-consciousness talking. And it's perfectly normal. But it's too bad, where a wedding is concerned, it's too bad to have one's mind wander to such things at a time when this bride and groom ought to be wholly focused on each other, of course, on God, hopefully, And on this quintessential moment of their lives, better to be holy in the moment, to revel in it, to soak up every feeling, every nuance of it. Because in a moment that's going to pass in a heartbeat, this is the moment you're going to want to remember. In fact, I remember one young couple, and this was years ago now, who were determined not to have any pictures, any video taken at all, professional or otherwise, during the wedding ceremony itself. Now, to the fact, I've actually had a couple of weddings recently where the bride and groom asked their guest not to take pictures during the ceremony and to leave that for the professional photographer to, so they could do a nice portfolio. But this was different. This bride and groom wanted no pictures taken whatsoever because it was for them, you see, a unique and sacred time, and they wanted the memory of it to remain solely in their minds and in their hearts. They didn't need a picture to have that. As they explained it to me at the time, and I never really forgot this, They wanted to be holy in the moment so that the moment could indeed be holy. Now, the truth is, you know this, is that such moments are not reserved merely for wedding days or, for that matter, times of baptisms and funerals, graduations and retirements, any one of countless other major life events I could name. What we know in faith, friends is that there are truly holy, truly sacramental moments that can happen to us almost anywhere and at any time. God's presence and power is to be seen and heard and felt and experienced in all the varied and utterly wondrous times of our lives. But the question is, how often, in our all-too-human preoccupation with things non-essential, do we end up missing out on that divine presence and what that means for the experience and for our lives? When, in other words, have we not been holy in the moment and thus lose a moment that is holy? Our text for this morning that Kay shared with us is Luke's account, of a holy moment, that was truly one of a kind. The transfiguration of Jesus upon the mountain. Now, scripturally speaking, this is a story that actually reveals a great deal about Jesus. About his power and authority. About his being the fulfillment of all that is contained in the law and what is promised by the prophets. And about his quite literally being the light that's coming into the world. C.S. Lewis actually said it quite well when he described the transfigured Jesus as "quote the light streaming forth from God, just as light is emitted from a lamp." unquote It's also the story of transfiguration, a story of divine proclamation in which Jesus is affirmed as God's own son, the chosen, one whose word was to be heeded. So as such, the story of transfiguration is a true holy moment. But that said, we also need to add here that it's also a story about how those three disciples on the mountain with him, James, John, and most especially Peter, We're very nearly not in the moment at all. As Luke recounts the story, Jesus and the three disciples had gone up to the mountain to pray. And and that while he was praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white, it says. And in the midst of that light, two great men of faith, Moses and Elijah, appear in glory and they speak to Jesus about his departure. Actually, by the way, in the original Greek it's translated as his exodus. That is what was about to befall him now that Jesus had turned his face towards Jerusalem. While all this is going on, we're also told that Peter, James, and John are all weighed down with sleep. So that in in and of itself tells us that their attention to what was happening was fuzzy at best. But even though it must have seemed to them to be something like a dream in their midst, they were at least awake enough to see and behold this glorious, radiant moment. But get this, then what's the first thing that Peter says as the moment draws to a close and Moses and Elijah are departing, he says, Master, is this great or what? That's my translation, at least. Quick, Peter blurts without thinking. Let's build three memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. See, what Peter wants to do is he wants to build a monument. He wants to somehow capture this incredible moment that was happening right then so it could last forever. It makes me think that no doubt if this had happened today, Peter would have been the first one recording the whole thing on his cell phone so he could post it on Facebook or Instagram. (laughs) Now, not to pick on Peter too much, Luke is quick to point out that Peter didn't know what he was saying. Of course he did. But the fact remains that Peter had immediately become so focused on trying to preserve this moment. He wasn't in the moment the way he should have been and should have. Perhaps this is one reason why almost as soon as Peter had uttered those words, a dark cloud swept over the mountain and overshadowed them to such an extent that all three of the disciples were immediately moved from awe to sheer terror. And why, in the moment that followed, all they could hear was the sound of a heavenly voice saying to them, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. The thing about holy moments, you see, is they include at least two main components. The first is the moment itself, in which the divine enters wholly into our experience and demands our whole attention. And the second is where that moment ultimately and inevitably leads us. At a wedding, for instance, the moment is all about love expressed and vows exchanged, but where it leads which what follows after the wedding kiss is the marriage. The marriage and the forging of a loving relationship over the course of many years. A truly holy moment, you see, whatever it might entail, includes what is and what's to come. And in the end, you see, that's what Peter and the two other disciples were missing. They were so busy seeking to preserve that mountaintop experience that they were totally missing what even in that moment was being revealed about what was awaiting them in the valley below. Actually, you know, considering the fact that the Gospels were composed well after the resurrection of Jesus, and given that we're also told by Luke that after their shared experience on the mountain, the disciples kept silent and in the days that followed told no one any of the things they had seen, you really do have to wonder if any of them understood what had just happened to them. Or if years later, I mean after Jerusalem and after the cross, after the empty tomb, there may have been another moment when all of a sudden they looked at each other And they said, oh, that's what was happening. Well, not yet. It's very fitting, you know, that this particular story is one that is traditionally shared by the church on the Sunday at the end of the season of Epiphany and just before Ash Wednesday and the beginning of our shared Lenten journey to the cross. Epiphany is all about the holy moments of Jesus coming into the world, our discovery of what that means for our lives and our living. It's about Jesus calling us to follow him. It's about him asking us to leave everything to be his disciples and be fishers of people. But that's Epiphany. The season of Lent is all about where those discoveries are going to lead us. It's all about coming to understand that being his disciples also means taking up our crosses to do so. It's the other component of all the holy moments that are ours in following Jesus. And the point for you and me today, just like for those three disciples up there on the mountaintop, is that it's often a difficult thing to discern where and to what Christ would lead us as his disciples. More often than not, you see, the answers we're seeking as to what happens next don't come to us in a burst of shimmering glory, but rather in the small bits of revelation that come to us as we're walking the pathway. Faith is a journey. Discipleship is developed and deepened by the pathways on which we choose to walk. But I would suggest to you this morning that it all begins by being holy in the moment with the one who calls us forth. For how are we to walk with our Lord? How are we to go to the cross if we don't first attune ourselves? to his presence and his power. It is interesting to note that the Greek word that we translate as transfiguration, admittedly not a term that we use every day of the week, is actually metamorphos, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. It's not only an apt description of the shimmery and shiny appearance of Jesus on that mountaintop. But it also serves to describe what happens in these holy moments of our Lord. Indeed, it is in the times we spent alone with God in prayer and in the eloquent reflection of our souls before God that we are also transfigured and thus transformed. Now while our outer selves might not shine a dazzling white as did Jesus within our hearts we do shine and in the process we undergo a metamorphosis becoming persons and a people who are equipped and empowered to walk with Christ along the adventurous and difficult an often dangerous way of faithful discipleship. In another wonderful quote of his, C.S. Lewis once compared our discipleship to an egg, which whatever else you can say about an egg never stays the same, does it? Either, wrote Lewis, that egg is being transformed into a chicken or else it slowly or inevitably rots away. Well, much the same can be said for you and me in our faith. Either we are growing in our experience with God, Whether, either we are growing in character and in knowledge, in maturity, in wisdom and in action, or else because of our inattention to everything that God has set before us, we end up Missing out on that which is good and purposeful and full of the glory that comes from a walk with the Lord. Well, our journey goes on, friends. And it very definitely in these days has taken a lot of interesting and difficult twists and turns. But even as that journey becomes not what we expect, even as, as I said before, we find ourselves drawn away from God's purpose for his creation, we need to be attentive to God's presence and power in every moment of it. May we truly be in the moment with our Lord in whatever we are experiencing this week. And may that be especially true now as we begin our journey with him to the cross. Ever heeding that voice, speaking to us as surely as it spoke from that particular mountaintop so many years ago. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. So might it be, friends, and thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, In the Moment. It was recorded during our February the 27th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. Now, if you would like to be a part of one of those services live and in person, know that we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 on I-93 in Concord. Or you can always join us for one of those services live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page, or afterward on our East Church YouTube channel. However it happens for you, We would love it if you could join us. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.